podcast at the intersection of Christianity, the writing life, and the wide world of books. I'm your host, Ben Bishop. Tim Mackey has one of those career arcs that seems sort of amazing when you're just looking at it on paper. He describes to me in this interview how throughout high school he was really only interested in skateboarding and as a result did not do well, but then ultimately ended up getting a PhD in the Hebrew Bible and Jewish studies from the University of Wisconsin at Madison. And then... After that strange turn in his academic life, pivot from ne'er-do-well high school student to PhD recipient, did not actually go into the academy. And after spending the first portion of, of his career teaching at a couple of churches and doing some teaching at a seminary here in Portland, Oregon, he got involved with, and in fact became one of the founders of, an animation studio called The Bible Project that creates videos to help people understand the themes, context, and overarching story or central message of the Bible. Very, very interesting. He was such a pleasant guy to talk to, simultaneously fitting and bucking the stereotype of the sort of academic Bible nerd. He's like an academic Bible nerd skate punk. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, We cover a lot of stuff, including Tim's own history in childhood and early adulthood with the Bible and sort of the context through which he was introduced to the Bible, the baggage he brought to his study of it later in life, or lack thereof, really, his development um, as a public speaker, and then ultimately what he thinks somebody who wants to follow in his footsteps might benefit from focusing on or thinking about while they're still in school. And I also got him to give me basically his elevator pitch for why Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel is awesome. Really enjoyed this conversation. Here's Tim Mackey. Tim Mackey, thanks so much for coming on the program. Absolutely. Ben, thank you for having me. There's a lot we could talk about. Um, because central to what you've given your life to professionally is the study of and teaching about the Bible, which is a topic you could spend a lifetime doing podcasts about. And so what I kind of want to focus on with you and dive right into here from the get-go is a little bit about um, maybe some more specific aspects of your professional life and also just your your relationship to studying the Bible, teaching other others about the Bible over against or as opposed to maybe uh, getting too into the weeds on theological concepts. But I think it would be helpful for people who may not be super familiar with you to, to just lay a little brief groundwork and start by maybe just asking kind of an open-ended question. Uh, can you tell us a story, relatively concise hopefully, but can you kind of give us an understanding uh, of kind of the over time, the arc of your own uh, relationship to the Bible, specifically kind of the story that you were given maybe as a child about what the Bible is and kind of what it can do, what kind of questions it can answer, and then and, and maybe the context in which you were given that story or understanding and how you received that, and then through adolescence and young adulthood, kind of how that relationship maybe changed, and now as you enter middle age, kind of where you're at, um, you could take that answer a million directions. 
but um, just kind of give us a, an overview. What is your relationship with that book been like? Um, you know, uh, yeah, it's a great question. I, I didn't really have any connection to or interest in the Bible or even much experience with it until I started following Jesus when I uh, was tw- 20 years old. So um, I grew up in a family. My parents followed Jesus, and our family attended church pretty consistently throughout my growing up. Um, I don't know. It was the, the niche it was in was in a kind of a the niche of the West Coast Jesus movement, Pentecostal style. <laughs> um, and so my memories of church don't even really have the Bible as a central focus. You know, my most vivid vivid memories of church are about like people speaking in tongues in the Sunday gathering and not understanding what was going on. <laughs> uh, and people quoted from the Bible, but I don't know. I, and it just, my parents weren't trying to force it on me. So I, I don't have any significant memories of connection with the Bible from my growing up. Um, and a lot of it's just my parents wanted, both my sister and I, to, if we were going to follow Jesus, they wanted us to discover it so that we would own it, and they didn't uh, put a lot on us. Um, so uh, when I started following Jesus, I was 20, So, um, and I almost failed out of high school. I mean, I was a really poor student, and not because I, I couldn't. I just, um, I, care, I could care less. <laughs> uh, and skate, I could, what I cared about was skateboarding. And so um, my conversion to following Jesus is happening at the same time, really, that it's, it was through a community and outreach ministry to skateboarders, and there was a Christian college across the street. And so my conversion, uh, signing up for college, <laughs> and being in a pretty tight community uh, that was really focused on like just following Jesus, doing what he says, and a high value on the Bible, that was my immersion into the Bible. And it was all positive. Like there weren't, I didn't have any, what I'm saying is I don't have any baggage or prehistory that's negative. And so um, uh, it was, uh, for me, the Bible entered my life at a time that my life was undergoing a radical shift in my own just personal values and direction of my life. And then also like a 20 year old male's brain is going crazy <laughs> with like development, one hopes. Uh, uh, if because if that male brain hasn't had too much THC in it, it can develop in a healthy way. Right? So mine didn't have too much. I had some, but not too much. So uh, I don't know, man. I just feel like for me, the Bible was was influencing me at a season of my life when the whole world was opening up, a whole new world. And I started reading literature. I started learning history. I started caring about art and beauty and film and so I, it was just the bible is just a part of the most exciting season of my life and so um pretty much that hasn't stopped <laughs> that's how the bible has always felt to me surprising i can't believe that something this old is saying something this profound and beautiful and, and another part of it is that my first classes on the bible well not all but one of my first teachers was um a art and literature just total geek his name's ray lubeck and so he introduced me to the reading the how i learned to read the bible 
was in the Bible as literary artistry kind of paradigm. And so he had us reading Elie Wiesel, you know, and um, Steinbeck and learning how to read literature as well as learning how to read biblical literature. So uh, there you go. I, I, um, to me, that's the core insight. I could go into a lot more nerdy and details and I've gained all sorts of other tools. But for me, that was still the seminal gift that um, this, this is a sophisticated work of literature. It's all connected. It leads to Jesus, and I was down for following Jesus, and so I was like, this book's awesome. Uh, so I, there you go. I, I could say a lot of other things, but yeah. I'll leave it right there. For the so it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about uh, or, or describe yourself as somebody who couldn't care less about, well, I guess you, I don't know if you were saying this about school. You were saying it about school, school. right? Yeah, so you couldn't care Correct. less about yes. school, and yeah. then, you know, because if you look now kind of at your resume or your cv on paper you're a guy who who went on to have <laughs> to, to get a phd in uh hebrew bible yeah. and jewish studies from yeah. the university of wisconsin at madison and you've you've now made your 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 life your career uh you know extrapolating on explicating teaching about you know kind of in a quasi-academic and also pastoral context which you associate with people who are really into to learning and to, to reading and to writing so I mean did something did something shift in you at what point maybe you could as a as a jumping off point like when did you decide during or after your undergraduate work okay I'm actually gonna go on and get a PhD mm. I'm so into studying this book mm-hmm. how, how did that come about well yeah I mean it it was just one one season at a time so I think I I was hooked uh, on just learning, I just I felt like the the view of the world that was leading me down where I was at, you know, in my late teens was uh, it was just whatever self focused American skate punk, you know, and uh, it was a pretty small view of the world, and it led me to some dark places uh, with the community of friends that I was in, and into some really I had two friends get. Uh, uh, fall prey to serious substance addiction and one friend when he got hooked on heroin my best friend and uh, I just I, I all of a sudden it, like the choices I was making became very clear to me and so again for me what learning what what signing up for college classes and then when my learning was connected to the thing and to the person that's changing my life Jesus of Nazareth it was like you couldn't the fire was lit, you know, so uh, it's just never stopped. Uh, so to be honest, I've I've never actually cared about my grades. Um, even when I was in school, grades were kind of incidental. <laughs> I was able to do well, but I think it's just because I just took every class as an opportunity to expand my horizon and uh, in, enrich as a gift, you know, an opportunity to, to enrich my life. And so I, I loved it all, man. I loved every step. And so by the time I graduated, it was clear to me and my friends, like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely more on the nerdy side <laughs> of my friend group. And so, um, however, uh, there were also three other friends who we all started following Jesus at that skateboard ministry, and we all s- signed up. We're all influenced by the same professor. We all signed up for Greek together. Then we signed up for Hebrew. And so we had a little cohort. Um, and all of all four of us are Hebrew Bible professors oh, wow. now oh, somewhere. Oh, my word. <laughs> what are the odds? So that, com- that community has 
been vital and still is. We still meet together uh, virtually and in person once a year and learn and study together. So uh, when I finished college, it was like seminary, but I didn't know if that would go to being a pastor or I do remember the first time I ever taught the Bible. Um, I did a lot of like Bible studies for junior high skateboarders, but the first time I ever taught my peers, I did it on a theology of the Exodus and the Exodus pattern in the prophets. <laughs> and uh, I still remember it was a Thursday night. It was the summer of uh, 99. And it was like the lightning bolt experience of I I walked away that night and took a long walk and I was like, I want to do that for the rest of my life. The thing that I just got to experience. And so that, that drove me. I think I finished seminary. And by the time I finished that, I was like, yeah, I think we don't have kids yet. I'm young. Let's do it. I'm going to do it. And so seven years later, <laughs> I emerged from the, the PhD program. So I don't know. It, it just felt like a journey. It was no, there was no plan. Okay, it was organic. It, it, was an, it was an evolving kind of seminal thing. Within the context of, the, of that journey and that time, uh, undergraduate work, seminary work, doctoral work, uh, also you know, living life, and it sounds like uh, as, a, as a relatively nascent, um, self-identified Christian, having a lot of just lived experience, new spiritual experience, living in the, in the world... What did you find yourself maybe most gravitating towards or, or most energized by in terms of uh, whatever you were learning about or studying in, in terms of the Bible? Yeah, yeah, it was all um, related to those first couple classes about the Bibles, um, th the way that it communicates as a work of literature and that it's, uh, it, it, it's communicating extremely sophisticated um, messages through really sophisticated literary strategies and techniques. However, they're strategies that are unique to ancient Israelite writing and culture. <laughs> um, and that just captured my imagination. For, that was the first set of things. And so um, learning to read these texts along the grain of their design um, to actually feel like if I can get the right reading skills, I can actually hear another voice talking to me that's not just an echo chamber. <laughs> um, and maybe, you know, when somebody's reading a letter of Paul, they are, you know, it's pretty easy to hear Paul's voice, you know, because he has such a loud and unique voice. But, you know, when you're reading these huge expanses of biblical narrative and it's all so weird and so much sex and death and, and God acting in ways that are sometimes inspiring and other times disturbing. The whole thing just sucked me in and fascinated me. And when I felt like I could really begin to track with what these authors are trying to communicate and say about God and about the human condition, I don't know, man, it was just, uh, so that was the first first thing. The, the second area of, of research that really began to interest me was about the formation of the Bible, um, its history of formation, that's manuscript, uh, the production of texts in the ancient world, manuscript history, and that sucked me in and became a topic for research. And so that's what I ended up doing my dissertation on. And so I had a lot of questions about that, but they overlapped. It was not just like, how do these texts communicate and what are they saying, but also how did they come into existence? And those two, two topics for me went hand in hand. And um, 
So I kind of went down that rabbit hole for a lot of years. I was able to come to peace with a lot of the questions that I had about the origins of the Bible historically, or at least come to, come to answers that, that really made sense of all the data for me. And so now I'm kind of many years back into a shift of really just, uh, and, and the Bible Project videos have given me this wonderful gift of an opportunity because it's like I, every video we make is essentially like a little book. <laughs> so I do the equivalent of a mountain of research. It goes into a video, but for me, it's just one big learning playground, you know, one topic after another. I want to, yeah, I want to get into the Bible Project video creation process a little bit if we have time. Yeah, but sure. Let me hold, hold here for one second because now I'm realizing it really is, it really is um, relevant and even maybe poignant to reflect back on what you were saying about not feeling as though you had baggage or, or you know, as mm. regards to the Bible or brought baggage in mm -hmm. uh, to your study or to your, to your, to your new faith at the age of 1920. Cause even the idea of, you know, studying the Bible as literature was something that I, I definitely remember as somebody who was like a cradle evangelical and, and, has had you know been a christian as as long as i can remember from from early childhood i remember like in high school for example like the catching wind of the bible as literature class at my public high school and just oh, somehow sure. like somehow raising like this red flag <laughs> at the time and not not knowing how to deal with that and and having some kind of you know really reinforced impulse within the the context of the kind of christianity that i was moving in at that time that the bible definitely wasn't just literature and couldn't, uh, and I'm certainly not putting words in your mouth, but the, I think a lot of people within what, what seems to me from the outside looking at, um, you know, maybe Western where you've taught or Door of Hope where you've taught or um, some other places that, that are, you know, generally within something of that evangelical kind of stream of American Protestantism or non-denominational non Protestantism might have also had kind of a, a strain of that concern and to hear that you were largely free from that is great i'm, I'm happy for you like have you <laughs> encountered that in the in the in the congregations or people that you've pastored or in people that you've you know in teaching contexts where they're somehow resistant and maybe even more basically maybe you could talk a little bit more about what it means to to study or understand or view the bible as mm. literature or a collection mm. of stories mm -hmm. at least partially you know truly shaped by human authors yep uh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, I uh, my the main context for teaching for me has been as an adjunct professor at a seminary, but mostly in local churches. You know, of uh, uh, eight eight years of serving in two different local churches. So I I know that context very well. Um, I guess for me, it's never been controversial. It's as controversial to say that the Bible is a work of literature created by really smart people communicating things. It, it's no more controversial than saying Jesus of Nazareth was a first century Jewish man. Now, is that all that he is? No, at least within the history of Christian orthodoxy. There's a lot more to say about him, but he's not less than that. He's never less than that. <laughs> and so I guess that's essentially my point is the Bible came into existence because of the work of uh, a whole history, a whole tradition of Israelite scribes and prophets who were brilliant and um, who had really profound things to say. And the way they did it was through um, communicating through 
the literary artistry of narrative and poetry. Um, so is the Bible more than that? I, I think there are more, more angles to understand what the Bible is than just that, but that's the basic starting point because it's a text and texts communicate through patterns. Whether you're just reading a sentence, you've learned a whole set of symbol patterns and your brain is doing work to interpret them as you read a sentence on a page. But this is an ancient Hebrew text. <laughs> so so uh, not only to just learn the language, but to learn the communication styles and techniques of it. To me, there's just, there's what's controversial? <laughs> I don't know what's controversial. Um, it's sort of like, yeah, I, I don't know. So, um, I, I do think that I do think there's something unique about these texts in that um, I I hold the confession that the God of Israel, who became human in Jesus, actually speaks to His covenant people through these texts. That these texts are the vehicle of a divine word to God's people. I hold that view, um, and. Uh, but to me, the what, how God speaks to his people is directly connected to what the people who wrote them were trying to communicate. Just as what Jesus was trying to communicate, I think, is what God is, it was trying to communicate and still is trying to communicate to us. So, so I, don't, I don't know if that helps on that point. It does, yeah. It's this idea that they're maybe that they're overlaying with one another, the human intent and artistry and, and, and literary work is overlaying with some kind of divine intent or divine word, capital W. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, that's I, somehow a sticky or frightening concept for people. And I don't even mean to be uh, disdainful mm -hmm. about that, but that it is difficult sometimes, particularly if you're raised in a certain context, to feel like you can sort of hold those with an open hand or hold them at the same time, where if you introduce the idea of human intent and you've been raised in a context that has like a pretty hardcore view of, of inerrancy that you then have to somehow compromise on one of those things. Um, and so it just takes some getting used to it did for me over, over the years. And then yeah. I, I, yeah. I've long since realized, yes, what, certainly. What I found, what I found in, um, audiences or, um, with people who are, are maybe suspicious is really to just use the analogy of what they already believe about Jesus. If somebody's, you know, uh, has a holds to a historic Orthodox view of Jesus as divine and human, they actually already have the categories for um, a real human being who um, is at the same time, like Jesus' humanity isn't somehow at the expense of or doesn't minimize. It works in perfect harmony with his divine identity. And I, th I think it's, a, it's, uh, it's not a perfect analogy to the Bible, but it's a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that the Bible... That is a good analogy, you're right. Yeah. And it's rarely referenced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, my, you know, our, one, of the, one of the central threads I always like to tug on and, and try to incorporate is the life of letters, books, writing. That's, that's central to this podcast. And in your case, as somebody who's who's spent uh, so much time focused on and just steeping in what is, I think, clearly, or at least very, very arguably, the central, most influential text within the history of Western civilization and Western literature, which is the Bible, what we know of as the Bible, the Old and New Testaments. I wanted to talk to you a, a little bit about um, writing or writings about the Bible. Mm. 
So mm-hmm. uh, both as somebody who has studied and, and ostensibly read a lot of other people's uh, takes on the Bible, a lot of other uh, famous, whether it's theologians or more popular writers writing about the Bible, um, like what are you, what have you over the years just been most drawn to? What, what is, what do you like to read? What do you gravitate towards? Um, you know, there's the, the biographical novels of somebody like Frederick Buechner, who's like reimagining the story of Isaac. There's, there's, there's any number of endless arms of kind of academic writing about the Bible. There's more, you know, figural interpretation. What is it that you, what is it that you just love to to go deep on when you're when you're reading other people on the bible Mm. um yeah that's a great that's a great question i mean it's now been uh over 20 years where reading is both my hobby my job and my passion (laughs) so (laughs) it's a it's a big stack of books um (laughs) uh, I, i it just depends on the season and what i've been either working on or excited to learn about. And uh, so, you know, um, most of graduate school was working on projects related to classes or bigger projects I was working on, so mostly research. Uh, I always tried to take the summers to keep current on New Testament studies, uh, so mostly academic writing. So, so lots of academic. Let's just take that. Like, I'm an, I'm an academic at heart in terms of what I like to read. I love reading monographs, you know? So, like, I don't know. I'm looking over, and I've got three books on um, different takes on the last four chapters of Judges. <laughs> just some light reading for when you <laughs> yeah, get totally. some spare time yeah, before totally. you fall asleep at night. Uh, and I've got a monograph on concepts of temple in the ancient Near East <laughs> and in the Hebrew Bible. And so, you know, like, yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, so you finish I, these huge projects during the <laughs> academic year, and then on the beach, you're unwinding with the 700-page Resurrection <laughs> of the Son of God by N.T. Wright, just so you can yeah. stay current. There you go. There might be. So I, I try to, I try to read one significant classic novel a year, um, usually in the summers, and that's actually been so slowly so i slowly work through cormac mccarthy's you know uh work steinbeck um i don't know over the years and it's just it it never feels practical it's always like because so much of my reading is towards an end you know to get a bunch of notes and then put it in a file so that i can use it you know so to sit down and read a fat steinbeck novel when i first start is always like but i force myself and I'm always happy. I'm always, I'm always happy. So anyway, both McCarthy and Steinbeck are sort of famous for having either like quasi quote unquote yes. biblical language or biblical themes. Absolutely. So that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, Marilyn Robinson. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I so yeah yeah I I tend to look for the, any classic authors that are working with biblical themes. So yeah, I'm never. I've read a few modern novels, and I just am like, ah, oh, this is a different planet. As somebody who also loves books and and particularly loves the making of lists, I was just totally enamored with your pretty epic reading list. Like, recommend? I don't know if it's a recommended reading list, but you have like this section of your <laughs> of your biographical page on the on the Bible Project website, which is the organization you work with right now, and it's a pretty long list of books about the Bible. Uh, and I thought we could maybe use this as a brief, we could have a brief aside here where I ask you to 
just basically just give me a, a, a capsule view of an author who I've heard so much about, always been intrigued by, but never read anything by, and that's Abraham Joshua Heschel. Oh, so yeah, he's on sure. your list. I picked oh, up a copy of yes. The Prophets yes. recently, and then it just fell by the wayside. I didn't end up reading it. T- tell me, like, give me the nutshell pitch of like why it could be awesome to read Abraham Joshua Heschel. <laughs> um, Heschel was a rem- remarkable human being. So he grew up uh, as an Orthodox Jew, um, and he has the whole of the Jewish tradition buried in his heart and mind. And the classical Jewish texts, which are post-Bible, called Mishnah and Talmud and the, the Midrash. So huge bodies of Jewish learning and interpretation of the Bible mm-hmm. representing the years like two, 300 A.D., you know, and going forward five, 600 years. But he also was a, a Bible scholar and uh, he had years of formal training in philosophy. Um, and he, so he's mid 20th century studies, um, you know, in, in Europe. Um, and so uh, he represents, he's like the quintessential 20th century uh, modernist, angsty philosopher mixed with biblical scholar, mixed with Jewish rabbi, mixed with poet. <laughs> and he's incredible. Um, so his God in Search of Man uh, is really just a, uh, he's, he's tackling uh, Camus and Sartre and, you know, the classic existentialist he's going to task with the theistic worldview, but in a really amazing way. Uh, his book on the Sabbath is an amazing theme study. That's a, it's a work of art. I actually encourage people to start there. Um, and then The Prophets was his dissertation. Um, so it's part of his early body of work. And, um, but what he, he was trying to make a contribution. Biblical scholarship on the prophets when he was a student was, I, in my humble opinion, in a sad state of affairs and needed a fresh voice for somebody from his tradition to say these are, are works that still have immense power to speak to the current age. He was also a, a major uh, civil rights advocate in the U.S., and so, anyway, I don't. I could go on. Uh, yeah, sold, sold. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I won't start with the prophets. Maybe I'll start with the Sabbath or or God yeah. in search of men. Sabbath is short. It's moving. You know, you'll want to be lighting your Sabbath candles uh, when you finish it. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's return to, or turn to kind of your your career, your professional experience, your work. We'll call it. Um, I never really gave a, a ton of explanation beyond what I what I gave people before our interview started in the kind of the canned intro at the beginning of this episode. But you've been uh, not only a student but also a professor, as you've mentioned. You've taught, as you also touched on, at a couple of different churches. And in light of that, and also the work that you now do with your organization, the Bible Project, you and your your co-founder John Collins, to create sort of accessible videos that that break down the the books and themes and stories of the bible and in all of those contexts i want to ask you a couple questions about sort of i guess what you feel like (laughs) maybe this is a negative way of putting it but what you're up against or kind of the state of the state of affairs and maybe i'll give an example of as you know part of what i discovered in part of my prep which was watching some videos of you talking and I, i came across a video of you giving uh, a talk or preaching at the church that you had been a part of um, in Madison, 
where you've got, maybe you'll remember this, maybe this happened all the time, but in this particular talk, you had like this, it was like a clear plastic chalkboard kind of a setup. And you had oh, this, it was a huge piece of plexiglass. Yeah, okay. Yes. And yeah. You, you basically, <laughs> towards the beginning of the this particular talk, you essentially outline for the audience what you th- what you believe. Let's see if I can phrase this. Not back myself into a grammatical cul-de-sac. It was basically your understanding of what the general non-Christian public's understanding is of what Christians believe. So you were essentially saying like this is. I think this is probably what what most people we encounter in the world who aren't Christians are actually under the impression that we believe. And it was essentially like, you're you're good, generally good, you go to heaven, heaven's kind of like this, harps, God, choir. If you're not, you go to the bad place where God tortures you, that's hell. And you proceeded to explain why you thought that was totally wrong. But my question just generally is, and I'll just lay it out here in both prongs, what do you like what do you think specifically as regards maybe what we can call biblical literacy where do you think let's just keep it to our culture where do you think in 21st century america here we are in 2020 what what like how biblically literate is the culture in which we live and then as the second prong of that question that's just general kind of average american and then most people who self-identify as christians who, let's say, go to church on a pretty regular basis, even read the Bible on a pretty regular basis, what's your honest take on sort of kind of, uh, you know, do they have a handle on what you think the best version, kind of a good workable version of the actual biblical story is? Mm -hmm. Or are they kind of maybe Mm -hmm. missing that? So that's two prongs, Mm -hmm. kind of the the culture in general and then Christians today. Mm -hmm. What's the state of affairs? Mm -hmm. As somebody who teaches the Bible and tries to get across messages uh, about the Bible, Mm -hmm. how how are we doing? Um, Well, yeah, I I could try and give like an official state of the union, you know, with like statistics and stuff like that. But I, I... um, I've forgotten all those statistics by now. When it comes to American culture, what is American culture? It's a loose federation of subcultures, really, uh, that are many of them are at diametrically opposed to each other. So it depends on what niche of subculture you're talking about. Uh, I, you know, my experience of uh, living on a West Coast city in Portland, um, which is a, a predominantly post-Christian city in that uh, even in grade school, public school here in Portland, I uh, was always maybe one or two people that I knew anywhere in my friend group that had Christian parents or whose family went to church. So not that many people. Um, So all that to say is, if you're talking about that subculture, uh, just the Bible is barely on the radar. It's it's like, it's just not on the radar. and so I would say there's just little to no familiarity there. Um, within religious Christian subcultures of America, um, I, I think um, I painted a really rosy picture of when I first became a Christian. Um, it, it was uh, definitely located on the non-denominational uh, evangelical parachurch ministry, you know, uh, part of of the spectrum, and so it was definitely like the um, we're all terrible, <clears throat> we're sinners, um, and you have a moment of decision about Jesus that will determine your eternal destiny. I mean that was 
my that was right in front of me. Now I hadn't grown up with it that way, but it was in front of me, you know, in in my late teens and early twenties. The problem was that was also the season where I was really excited to read the Bible a lot, and I just couldn't find that summary of Christian belief in the Bible. <laughs> I just it was it was like I. This is what everybody's saying it's all about and like how to summarize it. But when I turn to Genesis, I'm like, ah, that has nothing to do with that summary, you know. Uh, and when I turn to Matthew or Mark, I don't see that summary. Um, I see what that summary is, is it's an abstracted condensation of some biblical themes that have been rearranged into a, a new narrative structure. The, the your sinner... Jesus did died for you. You have a decision to make that determines what happens to you after you die in a disembodied state. There's little tidbits <laughs> that have touch points in the Bible for each of those, but they're it's just widely taken out of context and it's it's a new narrative. So to me that was the fundamental tension was then I was like, okay, well what is the actual story the Bible's telling? And it turns out it delivers just as much challenge to us and forces us to make a decision about Jesus. But the story around which that decision is made is so much richer <laughs> and so much more profound. Uh, and I think actually is worthy of being taken seriously in the public square in, in just modern thought. And so that's why I care so much about the story of the Bible and what it's actually telling. And so that's just been something I've been after in my own learning, in, in teaching over the years. And so the Bible Project is really a, a way of c condensing that pursuit into short little tidbits and videos and stuff. I guess this is more about the, you know, within the, within the world of people who maybe don't even self-identify as Christians, but that have really been meaningfully exposed to the Bible, who were at least taken to church, or certainly those who have gone to church and have been Christians or are, um, what is it, it what is it in your view that tends to and then maybe there's multiple answers to this question but what tends to lead people to become disenchanted with the bible people who may have been interested in it who may have thought they were passionate felt that they were passionate about it may, um to you know to stop reading it to giving up on it and what and then what leads people to become reenchanted or reenergized or even freed from maybe some some difficult, in your view, maybe erroneous, unhelpful beliefs about the Bible. Like, what is it that leads people to fall out of love with the Bible, and, and what is it that helps yeah. make them fall back in love? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I um, Just from, I don't know, anecdotally, over the years, and then my experience with the Bible Project, um, uh, the most common pattern is um, people who get over-familiarized with the Bible in a religious community. But the way church communities present the Bible to people uh, has strengths and weaknesses. You know, um, a Sunday gathering can only do so much. And um, if you walk away from years of Sunday gatherings, your impression is the Bible is a collection of inspiring paragraphs or verses, you know, uh, that give me a life lesson for this or that part of my life. So the, like the life lesson approach. The Bible's like a manual 
of where God gives tidbits about how to do this right or how doing that is wrong. Um, so, uh, it, it and so it's it, it just is what it is, you know. I, so I think people they know a story from Veggie Tales growing up. They hear it preached on once, how to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and not bow down to idols and whatever. And then they they think they know the story. And so um, I think then you're just like, well, well, if I know the story, why do I need to read it again? You know. And uh, I know the Daniel stories. I know the Joseph story. Jesus, I don't know, and it just, so that's one. And then I think when somebody observes a community of Jesus' followers behaving in ways that are really out of sync with what they might think the values of Jesus are, or maybe they don't know Jesus enough to know the values that Jesus holds, and so they see that the, their church community is out of sync with what they value, wherever they've gotten their values from. And it's just, ah, the recipe's right there. It's just the Bible's an outdated book uh, that's treated as important by people that I think are out of touch. So, so why should I care about it? And I I get it. I, there, I get it. I totally understand that. Um, so my, my favorite kind of analogy for this is that scenario is much like um, in the, uh, the old Star Wars movies, um, the second, which uh, is actually technically the fifth <laughs> in the, in the storyline, is, is uh, The Empire Strikes Back, when the young student, Luke Skywalker, goes looking for a master to train him who's truly wise in the ways of the Force. And what he meets is a t little green creature who talks funny named Yoda. And Yoda is actually the sage master. But because Luke uh, can't see the master for who he actually is, he treats him like an unsophisticated, out-of-touch little green creature. And what the green creature never does is impose himself on the student who doesn't actually see what's really there. He just patiently waits <laughs> uh, for Luke to wake up to the reality of who's actually sitting in front of him. And uh, that's become such a helpful metaphor for how I think the, the biblical authors are. Uh, if if we if they're fine with letting us think that they are old school and out of touch, <laughs> and they'll just wait for another generation to come that will read these texts and get what they were actually trying to say and still are trying to say. So I I think that's a piece. So what it, uh, for me um, when you actually get the set of simple reading skills for how these texts actually communicate, and for me actually a gateway to this was seeing how Jesus. I didn't start on page one when I started reading the Bible. I just read the stories about Jesus, the four accounts of his life, was really how I first started reading the Bible. And I remember noticing how much Jesus um, talked about, quoted from, and how he thought was important what was the first three quarters of my Bible, the Old Testament. And what I noticed was the way he would quote from it or interpret it was, and I would like go back to the, what he was talking about you know, turn back to something he's quoting from and be like, I, how did he get that? <laughs> or how did, where did Jesus come to that conclusion? And then I started to do the same with Paul or Peter. And then I realized like they're reading the Bible and getting stuff out of it that I don't understand. And that's part of what ignited my interest in this. How, how, how to read these texts the way they're designed to be read. And when you get that skill set, 
and you feel like you actually start tracking with what's happening in these texts and what they're saying about God, it's just mind-blowing. I don't know what else to say. So I think when you point that stuff out to people, I just I find that people get reignited. This stuff sells itself kind of a thing. Yeah, just t- totally. That's right. Yeah, that's right. In a way, I, I see my role as just pointing out really cool and beautiful things to people in places that they had no idea that there were beautiful, cool things to even see there. Well, it's, it's, a good, it's a good time to segue then to talking specifically about what you're doing now with the Bible Project. Um, what's the elevator pitch, like the 20-second the, the explanation for what Bible Project is and, and what you guys are trying to accomplish? Yes. Well, um, we are a, a nonprofit, crowdfunded animation studio in Portland, Oregon, and we make um, short-form animated videos about all the books of the Bible— themes that run through the Bible, teaching people how to read the Bible, so that, our mission, uh, we can help people experience the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. There you go. Great. <laughs> Successfully, that was great. Very concise. I, I want to I talk, though, actually about the process side of, of, mm. of what an, like an actual day in the life of Tim Mackey uh, at the Bible Project. You are not an animator, and obviously what we engage with as the public are these videos, these short videos. We hear your voice and your co-founder, and I believe former college roommate and longtime buddy John Collins' voice. You guys kind of trade off sometimes doing the narration, but obviously just recording uh, some scripts for short videos that you've written can't be the lion's share of what you're doing. So maybe let's 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 talk about it in terms of a, a specific video that has not you know that only exists maybe at this point as a, as a seed or, or a germination in your mind before you actually turn anything over to your animators before you're actually starting to do the nuts and bolts um, kind of creating of the video. How do, what do you guys do? Do you like get into a room with a whiteboard and be like, okay, like what do we want to do now? And then are you exchanging email? Do you each go into your little studies and like you set, write up some notes and send them to John? Do you like, do you read, as you alluded to earlier, like 15 books about the book of Malachi or the Italian prophet, as my friend Clint calls him, <laughs> Malachi. Right. Yeah, totally. uh, yeah, well, tell us a little bit. Walk us through like what it yeah. is that you your role entails. Um, yeah, so uh, the upstream of every video is, uh, it actually, it's a uh, familiar process. Yeah, I'm, I'm academic at heart, so um, depending on what the video is, let's say it's on um, a book of the Bible, or actually, we've, we've made videos about every book of the Bible now. Um, so, or, um, but let, so let's say it's about a book of the Bible. Yeah, I'll um, catch myself up on scholarship on that book. Uh, pick, you know, the top 10 things to read on kind of new, new parts of the conversation. I always try and read a classic scholar from another century. Um, and then I try and familiarize myself with the history of how that book or theological idea has been interpreted. Because I just learned so much from how, so and then I just I create notes. I write little mini books, um, <laughs> and then what I take is then John and I talk through all of that. Um, so we take hours um, to talk through the content for a video, 
and then we record all that, and then that gets um, edited and turned into the, our podcast, the Bio Project podcast. So in a way, it, but it's like a class. I'm like, I, I have one student, and I'm taking one student with microphones you know, <laughs> through all of this. And then sometimes I'll go away. Usually John's contribution um, to the Bio Project uh, is... It is none of it, w it would exist without him. He actually started it. Like he actually like had started a company before too, actually. And so uh, that whole side of it, he did. But then he has this ability to take in huge amounts of information and ask more questions than you ever thought were possible to gain clarity, problematizing. And then once it's crystal clear in his mind, he can summarize almost anything he's learned in about five minutes, you know, and you listen back and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was trying to say. <laughs> and so he usually writes the first draft after our hours of talking. And then we uh, hammer out the script together. And then that's the whiteboard. We're thinking up illustrations or I ideas. Um, and then once we have a script and some core visual ideas, we m go meet with our artist team. And then from then on, it, it it takes the same process that a short that a short or long animated film is. It goes through a storyboard phase, a visual development phase, and then uh, uh, illustration phase, and then animation, and then sound design. So so and so anywhere from that whole process can be anywhere from six months to three months, just depending on the type of video. So that's a bit about your actual your actual process. Do, like over the years that you've been teaching, and uh, you know, in various contexts, and also speaking publicly, can you see in yourself uh, growth? And how hard has that been for you to kind of work those muscles? I mean, when I see you, you seem sort of like an enigma as somebody who doesn't know me uh, or doesn't know you. Not 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 necessarily all that rare. There are plenty of people who are sort of full-on academics and also do a fair bit of public teaching but it's not a total overlap where those are like the same skill set have you really had to work at kind of uh becoming a good storyteller and, and teacher and speaker or is that something that has come naturally to you are you introverted extroverted what has that aspect of kind of developing this totally other skill set been like for you well uh i don't i am a hyper introvert but that's, I didn't necessarily know that in my, when I was a, a young man, but, um, uh, you know, I had a, I was, the only thing in high school I ever did get interested in for two years was theater. Um, and so I took voice lessons and like was in a number of plays. I got used to being in front of people and realized like, oh, I can communicate in a way that people can engage with. And so, um. Teaching and preaching came a, a little bit naturally, though I had an incredible mentor who took me under his wing, an amazing communicator. He was the pastor of that church in Madison, Wisconsin, that um, that I was as a pastor at. And uh, and I don't know. I, for me, the skill of public communication has been hard earned. I've I've had to work a lot at it in my early years, and I still don't actually think I'm a very good preacher. I think I'm a decent lecturer. Like a, <laughs> and and really, uh, I, I um. What's the difference between those two things? 
Oh, I think there's a big difference. Yeah, tell, explain, uh, though, what, what it is that you see as being different between uh, pre what you would call preaching and what you would call teaching or lecturing. Yeah, I think, for me, preaching is a combination of teaching and persuasion. Um, and I feel dirty trying to persuade people. <laughs> uh, for me, and I'm not saying preachers are dirty. I'm just saying that's personally how I feel. I would rather try and communicate something and either it's so compelling that you're going to be interested and go do something about it because you find it compelling too. But if you don't find it compelling, then okay, sorry. You know, I find it compelling. If you don't, I'm sorry. But this is the thing that I'm going to tell you about right now. And that's kind of my... Uh, approach. <laughs> but what I find with the Bible and with Christian faith in general is that more than half of what turns people off, what people think is ridiculous, stupid, or offensive is truly genuine misunderstanding, not truly understanding some idea in the Bible um, or some element of Christian faith. And so then for me, it's about it's about really trying to help people have their own epiphanies, their own moments where they can see something new that they've never seen before. And I, that's been my journey from day one so for over 20 years. It's every week, every, I think that's why I keep reading is because I love learning. The experience of like, oh my gosh, I've never seen that. I've never thought about it from that angle. It changes how I think about everything. Uh, and now I'm dissatisfied with everything I've ever thought about that before. And I don't, I just think that's exhilarating. What a great way to be human. So. I hope that never stops stops happening. I have one final question for you, which has to do with um, presumably having reached a point in your life and career where you've you've started to have uh, people reach out to you in any number of contexts with some kind of curiosity about like, hey, maybe you know young people presumably uh, like, oh, maybe I could do what you do. Maybe I could kind of go down this path that you've gone down and it's it has really been interesting i'll preface this by saying it's been interesting and in, in some ways just sort of sobering or even demoralizing to realize as i've gotten as i've approached 40 how many people in sort of cl classic aspirational careers like doctor people i know who've become doctors people i know who've become lawyers people i know to some extent who've become academics or tried to, to go down the road of getting a job, you know, in a, 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 like a tenure track position, have all in various various ways and for various reasons said, oh man, don't do this. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't do this. Like you're gonna end up becoming, in the case of a lawyer, you're gonna take on all this debt and then you're just gonna become a, a master of, of details and you're gonna be work, just working for wealthy corporations or with some of the doctors I, I now know and work with, it's like, catastrophic levels of, of debt academics it's like well sure if you're willing to like literally move to any tiny town in america then maybe you could win the lottery so what do you that's all kind of negative and then there's of course <laughs> plenty of people who are like yeah this is great i would totally encourage people to, to do what i've done what do you say to the to the 18 19 year old uh you know next generation tim mackey who's like oh man like this is so inspiring like what where could i where could I start, or is it conceivable that I could maybe like have a career like you? What do you tell the people who are interested in kind of 
somehow, not, not identically, of course, following the exact path that you've taken, but want to do something along the lines of what you've done. Do you, is it, does it seem feasible, or do you, have you kind of won the, the life lottery and it's really un, unrealistic that someone else could do it? And if it's at all something that you would encourage, what do you tell people to make sure that they're doing very generally to sort of prepare themselves for that? Hmm. Yeah, well, that's a, yeah, well, well put question. I do feel like I've won the lottery. I feel like that every day. Especially just because I didn't, I didn't actually have a plan. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I was halfway through my PhD when I did my first student teaching at the University of Wisconsin. I taught Intro to Judaism for 300 freshmen, and I walked away from that experience going, "Oh my gosh, I do not want to be a university professor." <laughs> Why not? What What about that experience was a turn? Oh, um, oh, I, yeah. It, I don't, it's too long to go into, but I, I think I just realized this is not the environment or the way that I want to communicate the things that I'm most passionate about. And so that was a brand new realization hitting me in the second half of my graduate career. You know? so, uh, that was a little sobering. However, the local church that we were attending had lots of grad students and faculty um, going to the church, and I love teaching classes there at my church and with really sharp people in the room and uh, that was where I, I realized that the intersection of academics and the life and ministry of a local church for me was where where it was at I, I knew that's where I was gonna have to find my way so um, you know I I think uh, the if you're young and you have an interest in biblical studies I, I think when in your early years is the time to invest in the skill sets to really um, get into biblical studies, learn the languages, learn the history of the discipline. Um, but you're right. The academic job market, especially in religious and biblical studies, is not a very optimistic picture. <laughs> so I really just encourage people to count on the fact that you're your main venue for communicating what you're interested in about the Bible will be in a local church. And that's awesome. It's actually awesome because it will force somebody who's academically oriented to think about also how these texts are, they came into existence in the life of an actual living covenant people. And they have always, uh, they were designed to and have always fueled the life and mission of local churches. That's what these texts are for and about. And so to me, teaching in the local church for so many years was a great gift to me because it kept it from being merely an academic exercise. So I don't know. I'm, I'm for graduate level biblical studies, I think. It's so good to be exposed to a wide variety of ways that people read and understand the Bible but odds are you're going to end up in a local church <laughs> and that that's a good, I think a good thing. So I don't know that that's a much longer conversation, but that's at least where I would start. Tim, thanks so much for, for your time. It's been really fun to chat. Yeah. Likewise, Ben enjoyed it. If you enjoyed listening to Tim talk about and really just scratch the surface of his own take on the Bible, you'll love his podcast work. In addition to his work with The Bible Project through their formal videos, The Bible Project has its own podcast, 
which Tim is featured prominently on, there's also an additional podcast that collects years worth of his sermons and teaching that has been recorded in various contexts. I believe it's called My Beautiful Strange Bible. I'll include links to both the Bible Project and to that podcast in the show notes. Thanks again to Tim Mackey. Talk to you next week.